Welcome to the Anonymous Podcast. This episode will be a guiding principle study and commentary. The aim is to provide insight to and context of the material within our book, Guiding Principles. This is not a meeting of Narcotics Anonymous. However, there will be some similarities in how the study will be conducted. Each study will have the audio recorded and then published to the Anonymous Podcast. The overall goal is to provide commentary of the text towards reaching those seeking a resource like this. If one person benefits from our efforts, including us, then the participation will be well worth the effort. We'll have the introductions and then we'll jump into the text. Enjoy. Hey, everybody. Uh, this is the Guiding Principles, the Spirit of Our Traditions study. And uh, we are on episode 30 tonight. And if you want to get your books ready, we're going to be on page 49, starting on question number nine, but we're going to do our introductions first. I am Michelle C. I'm from Bend, Oregon. Uh, my clean date is 8-13-92, and I fellowship in the Central Oregon area, and my home group is the Early Risers, which is an amazing online meeting if you want to find us. Uh, Melissa. Hi, family. My name is Melissa, and I'm an addict. My clean date is May 21st, 2015. My home groups are Spiritual Ninjas and Freedom to Change, and I attend meetings in Slidell in New Orleans, and I'm grateful to be a part of tonight. Awesome. Thanks, Melissa. Douglas. So, Michelle, I'm addict. Name's Douglas. Got clean March 12, 2000 in Southwestern PA. I stay in the Raleigh, North Carolina, in the Fairmont, West Virginia uh, areas now. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks, Douglas. Brooke. My name's Brooke T. Um, I live in Colorado and I um, attend meetings here and online. My home group is Just Can't Miss It. And my clean date is 6 16, 1997. Thanks, Brooke. Carl. Hey, y'all. I'm Carl. I'm an addict. Clean date's January 6, 2015. And I attend meetings in New Orleans area. Thanks. Thanks, Carl. Alberto. I'm Alberto and I am an addict. My clean date is 10-30-16. Um, I'm in the Fort Worth area and my home group is called Another Chance. Great, thanks. So we are on tradition three, which states the only requirement for membership is the desire to stop using. Uh, we're in the question for the members section on page 49 and we left off last week on question number nine. Brooke, you wanna start us off tonight? Sure. Okay. Number nine, what are some of my reservations about our open membership policy? This one's gonna get juicy. What additional qualifications do my actions behavior impose on, other, on people's memberships and recovery? How do I reach out with compassion and lack of judgment? Hmm. So I guess the my reservation, my main reservation about um, our open policy, it probably is, I mean, if anything, it, the only thing I can think of really is safety. Um, so, so that's really honestly it. Like, um, so I, I, yes, I mean, like I've chaired a meeting um, or opened up for a meeting where it was like me and some random guy from out of town and that can get sketch, you know what I mean? <laughs> and so that's that's really, honestly, that's the only one that I have an issue with. I've, I have done a lot of work around uh, people who um, 
so the child molesters, um, those, you know, I've done a lot of work around that. And, uh, and I can't promise that I'm not extra vigilant when that's when I know somebody um, has that problem. Um, and then also, you know, people who, who think it's okay to be violent against other people. I mean, normally I wouldn't hang out with them, but I, again, I've, I've come to the conclusion that they, they need to be here. Um, and, uh, and, and I, I do kind of like kids within meetings because I know that they're probably, I mean, like I would like their parent, whoever it is, to be able to go to meetings whenever they need to. Um, but sometimes I, I wonder how much they get out of it. I don't know. Um, but that's, again, I'm just like, I always encourage uh, single parents to be like, it's different if you come alone, that's all I'm gonna say. Cause I don't know if it'll work cause I don't have kids, but I'm just like, it's different when you don't have to worry about your kids tearing things off the walls <laughs> um, or any, or even if they're sitting quietly, every peep bugs them, I can tell. And I'm like, it's different when you can pay attention to you. <laughs> um, and those are, those are pretty much it. And uh, <sighs> I don't know if I impose, but I'm, I mean, like, I, I, I'm, and I say it, I'm like, why are you here if you're not working the 12 steps? Um, and I qualify with that with, I don't particularly like people. Um, this isn't my idea of a good time. Some of them are fun, but most of the time meet, meetings are, are uh, you know, they're not really like, there's, there's certainly something else I could be doing with my time, basically. So, so that is my attitude is that I go to meetings because I work the steps because I want to stay clean because um, I'm in a 12 step program, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but I, I don't know that I insist anybody else does it, but I'm sure as hell not going to keep quiet about it. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so that may have some effect on people. I understand these days that if you uh, say what you're doing, my, that's different from other people, they get upset about it. Um, <laughs> So uh, if you're one of those people, keep coming back uh, because it, you're being upset is not worth dying over. And this disease kills people every day right now. Um, anyway, and how do I, wait. Compassion and lack of judgment. I don't know, the best I can. <laughs> I mean, I'm not the greatest at it, but um, I'm certainly not mad at anybody. I'm just... I'm a little bit more straight ahead than some people are. And um, some people appreciate that. And some people think that I'm being pushy and bossy and mean. Um, so, and everyone's so well, I mean, like I hear people who really are awesome and compassion, compassionate, like Michelle and Donna, definitely for sure. I've, I've heard them be, and I'm like, I wish I could be like that. And then I'm like, I'm, I'm me. And maybe I can practice a little bit, but I'm, you know, straight ahead is, is, has got room in this fellowship. I don't necessarily have to be super, uh, super nice, but it doesn't hurt to try. <laughs> That's it out of me, thanks. Thanks, Brooke. Alberto, you wanna add to that? Yes, yeah, so I'm gonna read what I wrote when I, when I actually worked, worked this tradition and I'll expand on it. Um, so I put, not too long ago, I was distancing myself from people who believed, who I believed we're not working the program or taking it seriously, which was me definitely not practicing my principles. And by practicing the principles, I allow someone to come in, feel welcomed, and have the opportunity to recover. 
by realizing I'm nobody to say who stays clean or not. I look at myself and realize that I've been given this opportunity and the love freely is in my best judgment in return. So like, I'm not going to say that I was forced to practice this, but like at least where I was going in life, it was continuing to give me that opportunity to practice that. Um, and honestly, if I never got the rewards from this, I probably would have like, I would have stopped. I'd been like, screw that person, right? I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and listen and deal with you people. Like, honestly, like it, it wasn't until I lived in my third area. Um, and this was when COVID um, started. Um, I was outside of Houston. And like, I strongly disliked that home group because everybody cared about fellowship and, but no one was ever there to open up the meeting and be there for the, like, you know, these are the things that I was seeing, right? So of course I had to look at myself and like, what am I doing it, right? And I started chairing the meetings. I wanted to be able to say that I was doing my part. So that way I could blame them for not doing theirs, right? Um, and honestly, that's what I was doing. Um, but I remember I kept talking to my sponsor about it and he kept telling me, Alberta, you got to get in the middle of the boat. Like it's your principles before your personality. And like that pisses me off. Like it's like, well, why, why am I the only one that got to do it? Right. Like, why is it me? And just thinking it's all about me. Um, like I was in that area for 10 months and for nine months, I strongly disliked it for nine months. But the last month that I was there, I remember I went to another meeting where I knew every home group member practically goes to. So I did my best to always not go to that meeting. Um, and I went there and I remember I said hello to everybody, especially the ones that just wanted a fellowship and not take the program seriously. Like I was just being cordial, like, hello. But one thing I realized is that I was smiling to every person who I was saying hello to. And I wasn't having to practice tolerance. Like that smile was genuine. And I was actually happy being around those people. And like, as I was sitting, there was a bonfire meeting. As I was sitting there, I realized that like, I'm happy right now with all these people. 75% of those people were home group members of mine. And like, I, I, I finally, I, I not, I'm not gonna say finally, but I got a little taste of why my sponsor says we put these principles before our personality. And so that gave me the motivation to keep going to it, to like, when I see that predator in the rooms, when I see that child molester in that rooms, when I see that rapist in the rooms, like, it's not about me. Like it genuinely isn't about me. And I know that if I just swallow my pride and my ego, which is really hard to do, like the best thing that I've ever gotten is by just doing that is by removing my wants. And it sucks. I don't like it. I genuinely don't like it because it, it, it's too much effort. Like I sometimes just want to break, right? I sometimes just don't want to do anything. But like I haven't found anything else in life that's granted me anything like that. And so like I keep pushing and I keep swallowing my pride. I keep letting my sponsor tell me these things, even though I don't want to hear it most of the time. Like I don't. Like I want to I want to pass. But I, I, I can't find anything else in life that gives me this. And uh, so, yeah, it's I've learned, <laughs> like, how do I do it? I just do the best that I can and be OK with that. And that's all I got. Thanks, Michelle. I figured I'm jumping in here because I don't think I have anything to 
I don't know how to answer 10, 11, 12, or 13. So I'm going to come in here and then I can just kind of hang back and listen for, for the next few. Uh, my reservations about our open mem membership policy. I don't know if I have too many reservations about that. I like how on page 44 it talks about membership issues kind of have a way of resolving themselves. So I'm kind of cool with that. You know, if a person has a desire that's between them and, and, and they, they measure their amount of desire and they're a member. But, but the second part, um, the additional qualifications that I impose on people and then how does it affect their, their recovery? I definitely do that. And I see that a lot with the, with the guys I sponsor. Um, you know, it's like daily check-ins and meeting every day for the first year when they work through the literature and jump into step work after they answer those two questions in, in chapter four. And if they, if they don't kind of live up to those expectations, I have to be mindful of myself to not be a little bit shitty and not to be like impatient. And then, you know, like when you get that phone call of like, hey man, I'm hurting everything, you know, the, the sky's falling, you know, and then it's like that round of question, when's the last time you've been to a meeting, you haven't called me in two weeks, you know, who are you helping? How, what are you doing to, and that ties into, well, how, where's my compassion and lack of judgment? I still have to answer the phone. You know what I'm saying? And then, and then the challenge for me becomes like, hey, Maybe I don't have to look at it as like, you know, I have to. It's like, hey, I get to. I get to be of service. This person's hurting. And I've had seasons to where I was that person, man. I was kind of like, I took the foot, my foot off the gas. I, I, I reap the pain, you know, of, of, of that bullshit. And then, and then I reach out to try to get some relief. So I know what they're, I know where they're at and what they're doing. But I can see that, you know, looking at this question, that's definitely how, how my actions um, that I can impose on other people yeah, I've gotten better over over time. Sometimes, like maybe if I'm FaceTiming or if I'm in person, instead of having this look come across my face, like you have got to be shitting me, I kind of I kind of dial it in a little bit to where it's like, all right, go on, you know, go on, spit your stuff. So, all right, those are going to be my comments. I'll pass with that, Michelle. Thanks, Douglas. All right, I don't see any other hands raised. I think we'll move on to question number ten. Melissa, you want to take that one? Sure. Thanks, Michelle. How does this tradition help me understand anonymity? How does anonymity help me understand this tradition? How do I practice anonymity in terms of this tradition? I feel like it's repeated three times. Maybe I'm not understanding it at the level I'm supposed to. But um, so with this tradition, like how it helps me understand anonymity is that like, um, Basically, I am not more important than anyone that comes in the room. So I don't have any more like validity of being here than the person just coming in or the person that I don't like, right? Um, they don't have to just be here for me to disagree with them, like to just get here for me to disagree with them. So like, that's how I always understand anonymity is like, I'm not better or no, nor worse than anyone else like we're equal when we walk through the door and like we get that through our pain you know through our suffering now we suffered an act of addiction and we're all welcomed here so let's see um how does anonymity help me understand this tradition i kind of feel like it's the same you know um this is a tough one <laughs> but yeah so basically you know I'm, I'm not more important, you know, and like, it helps me, how do I practice anonymity? Okay, so um, 
in terms of this tradition. So this one's easy. So I heard, I think it was Brooke talking about practicing compassion, right? I mean, it's easy to like know what you're supposed to do. It might not always be easy in the moment, right? Um, but like unconditional love is a really good one um, that applies to this for me. But like, like Brooke was saying about safety, like that was the same thing for me with that question. And so like another way, like I, I can practice unconditional love is by loving myself, um, by being vigilant and ensuring that I'm safe while also still being accepting and not saying you don't belong here because we all belong here, you know? And um, like putting myself aside, but still taking care of myself, you know, um, if that makes sense. <laughs> and, you know, just, just showing compassion, you know, opening the door for the addict coming in, um, despite how I'm feeling is, is another way that I can uh, put myself aside to welcome the next person. So that's all I got for that. Thanks. Thanks, Melissa. Carl, you want to jump in? Yeah, I was just going to share a story I had, um, and I'm sure everybody's kind of had this experience where you, like, so I had a huge resentment against this doctor when I was younger, and he put me on some, some medications and stuff when I was a teenager, and then Katrina hit, and he just flat out disappeared you know, and never heard from him for years. And then his wife started calling, I guess, some old patients and stuff and was like trying to get people back on the payroll or whatever after he just kind of like deserted everybody. And um, so I had this huge resentment. And so fast forward all these years, you know, it's probably, I mean, I guess it's been like 15 years. I don't know. But um I walk into a meeting one day and I thought he had died. I thought he committed suicide is what I heard. And then I, so I'm walking in this room and there's this guy sitting facing the wall, reading the steps in the traditions. I was like, holy shit. Like, here's this dude. That's him. <laughs> so like, I was like, okay, I walked to the restroom, you know, and I come back out. And there's that moment where it's like the anonymity piece of, you know, leaving all that shit behind and approaching him just like a still suffering addict, you know? And so I walked up and I was just like, hey, uh, you know, and I just, you know, I actually, I called him. I was like, I was like, man, look, I haven't seen you in years and years and years. And he's like, yeah, man, you look so familiar, you know? And it, it was he was like, yeah, aren't you Ella Rose's grandson? You know, or I told him that. I said, oh, I'm Ella Rose's grandson. And he was like, holy shit. He's like, man, I've been, I've been wanting to see you. And he actually like made an amends like on the spot, you know, but it, for some reason, I don't know, that always stuck with me about that anonymity piece of like leaving all of my personality behind, you know, and judgments of who he was in, in the life you know like past life or whatever and and um just seeing him as just another addict you know and i think it was so eye-opening to see just 
my past judgments and all this stuff and then kind of to see him in that light like he's literally he was homeless like he was a psychiatrist and like super successful and like 300 dollars an hour that kind of psychiatrist and then to be literally living in an abbey homeless penniless you know wifeless it was like damn you know like he's just one of us you know what i mean and that's the truth of it it's just like so illuminating to he is literally like once we come in here like that's we're all just that we're just all addicts so thanks thanks carl so this this uh number 10 here made me think about something so when i you know i, I got clean in the bay area and when i moved up here to bend oregon it, it's a much smaller area right i went from this really big area to this little tiny area and um things were different, right? They ran meetings different things, things that the way they fellowship was different. There were just little things, right? And when someone would relapse, it was like, there would be like this um, flurry of information that would kind of feed through the fellowship that somebody had relapsed. And, and the theory was like, well, they gave up their anonymity when they relapsed and everybody needs to know to protect everybody. And like, that didn't sit right with me at all because I felt like, like that's gossip. Like I, I don't, you know, I, I, I didn't, and I, I don't know, I don't know if other people here have, have thoughts about that, but I, I feel like my anonymity stays with me, whether I'm, I'm clean, I would certainly hope that what I've said in a meeting or shared in a meeting stays in a meeting regardless, right? And, um, and that my anonymity stays with me. And, and yeah, I know that like we care about people. And so sometimes there's that, the 12 step piece of it of, um, you know, the next one talks about the bridge. So I'm, I'm crossing over into the next one because I read ahead here a little bit, but you know, the 12 step talks to us about, you know, carrying the message and not the addict, right? And so I know that when, when people we really care about relapse, I, I can see that like letting people know from that perspective, but this was like a, <laughs> felt like a phone chain, right? Like, like everybody needed to know. And, um, and that, that just never has sat right with me. Like, it's not my belief system. Like, um, I'll reach, if I know somebody's relapsed, I'll reach out to them and, and reach out, you know, or if I know somebody's on Suboxone, like, that's not my information to share. That's their personal medical information. Like, if they've shared it with me in confidence, then I'd be breaking their anonymity if I shared it with somebody else, whether or not I think that they don't have the desire to stay clean, right? That's my opinion, but they've shared something with me in confidence. So I think, like when I think about anonymity in regards to this, um, and even with the last question, right? Like whether or not my opinion is that they're clean or not, I also need to still respect their anonymity and respect whatever they've shared with me if I'm their sponsor or you know somebody that they've just felt that they wanna share that with or they've come to a meeting and shared it in a meeting, right? Like that, that um, knowing that what we share in a meeting stays in a meeting, I think it's just so important. And um, I don't know, I guess that, that just made me think about that with this question number 10. And I don't know, maybe that's that maybe that's a thing I just never knew about, but uh, but it really shocked me when I got here. Um, number 11. Uh, Alberta, you want to take number 11 for us? Yeah, so. 11 is describe any bridges between this tradition and one or more of the 12 steps. What do these bridges teach me about my recovery? 
So again, I'm going to read what I wrote um, just because I can't read and think at the same time. Sorry. Um, so what I put down was I would say step 11 and 12. 11 because through constant contact with my higher power, I know it's in his will to welcome and make the newcomer feel at home, to show them that the solution is here and in a step 12, because in the process, we try to carry this message to them, whether they stay clean or leave. The bridges teach me that the steps I use in my recovery are a foundation that I stand on to help me practice those traditions. Um, and again, <laughs> that's kind of like just to keep it real simple and I'll keep it real short. When I get out of the way, I get everything about me out of the way. All my desires, all my, all my needs, all my wants. It's not about me anymore. My sponsor told me that today. Like you're still stuck in self, right? Because like life is good right now, right? But yet something in my head is telling me I want something more. And when I heard myself say that, I found out how out of gratitude I was in that moment. Because right now it's not enough. Even though my life is good, all my needs are met. I feel like something is still missing, which nothing is missing. The disease is just doing what it's doing, making me believe that I'm out of something. And so like bringing that into the meetings is like, I got to realize that I, when I'm in there, I'm, it's not about me. It's like, what, what am I doing to be able to carry the message to show someone doesn't have to die? Right? Because the person that I'm judging, the person that I don't like, that's someone's mother, that's someone's father, son, daughter, brother, cousin, like, and yet I'm over here because I don't like them. I robbed them of that opportunity, right? Like, I don't know about you guys, but I strongly believe that my higher powers characteristics are the spiritual principles. You know what I mean? So if unconditional love and compassion and forgiveness is constantly being practiced on me, and if I want to be in line with my higher power's will, like the steps teach me that, right? And if I really want to keep it simple, well, step 11, again, what is what is my higher power's will? Well, sure as hell not be me. Because me got me in an A. And I don't know about you guys, but finding myself in Narcotics Anonymous in the very beginning means that I failed. But thank God, because of the program, I don't have to be that failure today. Uh, so that's all I got. Thanks, Alberto. Donna? Hey, everybody. I'm Donna. I'm an addict. I'm here in Eugene, Oregon, 10 meetings at Lane County and online. My clean date is Thanksgiving Day, 1985. And um, so I was thinking about these are these are actually pretty hard questions. I mean, really, you can spend a lot of time with each one of them. But I think the bridges between this tradition and working the program, working the 12 steps is when I am taking my own inventory, when I am being completely honest with myself, when I am in a place of humility where I know that I'm no better or no worse than anybody else walking in the door. Um, uh, and um, that uh, I'm just able to be more uh, respectful and genuine for anybody else walking in the door, you know, and uh, my, my taking my own inventory, anything negative I got going towards anybody else is coming completely through my filter, 
right? There's something going on inside of me. If I'm having to be judging somebody else, it doesn't mean I don't use discernment. You know, I certainly have the right to like or dislike whoever I like, you know, whatever. I mean, I'm a person and I get to choose. Um, but uh, when I'm in a place of taking my own inventory and being mindful about that, I don't have, I'm, I don't spend a lot of time in judgment of other people. And um, uh, the other one I think is probably the first step, right? Because we're powerless over addiction, you guys. We are powerless over addiction. And that means other people's addictions as well, right? That not judging, the thing I've learned in from this from this study we've been in and and talking about you know the desire to stop using it's like we can't judge anybody else's desire, you know and and I've really thought about that person who's been coming into the rooms over and over again for years, who said, if I hadn't done that I would have died, you know whether they stayed clean for any length of time or any of that kind of stuff, you know and um, you know stop judging that desire. I have, there's a couple of people I don't have much to do with. If I see them, I will, of course, be kind and compassionate and welcoming, but I don't have to let them into my life. I don't have to friend them on Facebook. I don't have to, you know, I have to do any of that stuff. You know, um, uh, if they wanted to ride to a meeting, I would take them. Absolutely. You know, and, um, um, but it's not my place to judge their desire. It is my place to protect myself, you know, and I choose to do that today. I was thinking about Carl's story and, and um, a number of years ago, uh, I may have told this when we were doing the um, basic text study, um, I found out from my daughter that her boyfriend had been hitting her. And um, in that moment, my whole world shrunk down to this little tiny vision, point of vision. And if he had been sitting across from me, I would have murdered him. I have never felt like that in my whole life. And um, when I could back up from that, I, you know, cause I thought I'm gonna go find him, you know? Uh, and when I backed up from that, it's like, where could I, what, under what circumstances could I ever see this young man and not kill him? And the answer was in a meeting of, Narc of Narcotics Anonymous, you know, and I would welcome him and I would want him to be there. You know, we get so much more than just not using drugs when we come here and become part of this and really, um, you know, uh, practice these principles in all our affairs. And I am so grateful for that. Thanks. Thanks, Donna. Melissa. Yeah, that was beautiful, Donna. So, um, yeah, this is a really deep question too. Uh, I can honestly see the correlation between like a few of them. So I do believe that it like connects with tradition, I'm sorry, step three, because um, history that we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Well, for me, my higher power is accepting and loving. And if I'm going to turn my will over to that, that's how I need to act. You know, that's what I need to do. That's what I need to bring to the rooms of Narcotics Anonymous. And um like at that point, my will doesn't matter, you know? So, so that really connects to step three for me. And another one is um, step four. And I know that might sound weird or crazy, but like, it's not always easy to look at like my part and why that person makes me have feelings, you know? Um, and I 
recently I've discovered that I like to blame when I feel uncomfortable, threatened, um, backed into a corner, pressured, like all those things, right? So um, like if someone's giving me negative feelings, I tend to like want to blame them rather than looking at my part. So like if I'm having negative feelings about someone who's coming to the rooms of Narcotics Anonymous, um, no matter what their motive is for being there, they, they can't get clean, you know? Um, you know, hopefully their intentions are to get clean and um, to stay clean. And I keep, you know, we keep saying like when, when someone comes into the room of Narcotics Anonymous, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're new, right? And so like, and I might, like Carl was talking about, like I might have had a previous experience with them. What is giving me negative feeling, right? And um, really just looking at myself. So that, that's to me how it connects with step four. And that was the one like of all these that I'm about to talk about, like that's the one that like really kind of surprised me. Um, and another one is um, step 10. And that's because it's like, uh, you know, taking that daily inventory and, <clears throat> excuse me, taking that daily inventory. And then when, when I'm wrong, like admitting I'm wrong, whether it's to that person, um, with my higher power, with my sponsor, and like talking about it and navigating through it, you know, um, so, so that one stood out to me as well. And then um, step 11, and really that one is because it's like the more connected I am with my higher power, like the more centered I am and the more accepting and loving that I am, like it doesn't matter if my world is falling down around me, like I handle life better when I'm connected to my higher power. So, and you know, the opposite is true. When I'm not connected, I'm not handling life well. And I mean, you could be my friend and I, and I might, I might not treat you well, just because, you know, at that point I'm the center of my own universe, right? So by like seeking my higher powers will for me and um, asking for the power to carry that out, I'm actually able to be more than what I am when I'm not, you know, and I'm able to be more accepting of like all different types of people, you know, um, even like we were talking earlier, like even if I felt threatened or whatever, like I can still practice um love and compassion and the I feel like the one that's the most obvious Michelle had already brought it up um is step 12 right and I think uh, Alberto too maybe um because like practicing this in all my affairs and like carrying the message to the next sick and suffering addict you know that is what my focus is right and when I do that, I'm, I'm able to welcome people. And if I'm not able to do that, then I'm not being very welcoming. So that's all I got, thanks. Thanks, Melissa. Um, I'll add on right here too that, um, you know, for me, when I, when I first got clean, it was hearing the first step of Narcotics Anonymous um, and then knowing that I only had to have desire. Like having those two things connected together by my sponsor of coming and surrendering that I was an addict and having the desire to stop. Like that, that even if I wasn't completely ready to do everything else yet, that I could become a member 
if I had that desire, plus I was willing to surrender. And so those two to me have, have been interlocked since like the very beginning of my journey with, with NA. And, um, you know, and, and it, it continues to, to be that for me. I continue to kind of connect those two things as I, you know, obviously at this point in my life, I'm not dealing with disease of, of, I'm not as attached to like drug addiction anymore, but now like the addictions that show up in my life, right. I still have to be willing to, to surrender and to um, have desire to stop doing things, whether it's eating sugar or shopping or whatever, like those two things for me still are um, married together for me as I continue to work on my recovery journey. Um, and for me, they, they just go hand in hand. So, um, all right, moving on to number 12. Uh, Donna, you wanna take that one for us? Okay, what more can I do to put the principles of this tradition into action? How would applying this tradition change my attitudes and actions? And um, I went back and looked here and it's um, started talking about uh, spiritual principles at the heart of the tradition three is compassion, um, some combination of desperation, courage, anguish, and hope. We, through, that, through a combination of those, we find willingness. Desire is not always visible and measurable. So I'm guessing um, uh, the principles of what more can I do to put the principles of this tradition into action? Hmm. Sometimes I have a hard time in my home group with other home group members. You know, and so the willingness to keep showing up, having the courage to keep showing up, you know, and in spite of having a hard time with some of the personalities, um, I think that's important. Um, we've been talking in my home group about um, what can we do to attract newcomers to our meeting, you know, so be part of that conversation. That's important. Um, Applying this tradition changed my attitudes and my actions. Uh, you know, it's not just the meetings of Narcotics Anonymous, I suppose, that we need to welcome people into when it comes to NA. I mean, we have activities, we have business meetings, you know, all of those things. You know, there's probably no one place that a person is not, should not be welcome if they are a member of Narcotics Anonymous can consider themselves a member of Narcotics Anonymous. And it's not a matter of not being, it's not a matter of safety, you know? Um, I guess I don't have much to say about that. Thanks. Thanks, Donna. Brooke, you wanna add to it? Oh my gosh, I had an epiphany. So, <laughs> um, so like I was thinking about people that that really like when we talk about personalities and stuff that really irritate me and I might not. Anyway, um, one of the ones is the people who are uh, who judge me because I know that people on uh, the podcast can't see me, but I've been accused of not being an addict because I don't look like an addict. Let's put it that way. Um, and one of the things I do like to point out is. <clears throat> I've been here for a little while. There's that. 
And then also, <laughs> I mean, what does a what does an addict look like? So um, just because I don't have tattoos on my face and um, I haven't done time, um, you know, there's a lot of those things yet. I mean, I just want to say yet on those kind of things. <laughs> Maybe when I'm 90, I'll get a tattoo on my face. It'll be cool. But, um, <laughs> you know, so like just that kind of stuff. And so people who judge me like that, I am more likely to be judgy back um and um and that that does set up like a um even even if I'm like trying to kill him with kindness I'm still trying to kill him so you know it's like <laughs> and maybe I'm being nice to him but in the end I'm still mad inside so like that's the part that needs to be let go of and then the other one is is I'm, I'm really pretty good at this but uh a while ago by I mean like last century um there was a big, there's a big thing about people who go to more than one program. Um, and sometimes people who do that show up and call themselves things like clean and sober, which, you know, is a breaking the traditions. Um, but I used to think it was okay to be a little, I don't want to say mean, but a little harsher to them. That's the word. Um, and in my head, I always felt like they were half members because they couldn't just go to NA. Does that make sense? <laughs> like, um, and so, because that's kind of where I came from, where it was like, if you really were like, I mean, you could, you only have to go to NA and all this stuff. But, but the truth is, is that even if you only have to go to NA, you can go anywhere you want. Um, you know, <laughs> um, so that kind of stuff is, is, so those are my two epiphanies. Um, of people that, and I thought they might be useful because I, I still, I still obviously get judgment from people who don't think that, um, that I belong here because I don't, I don't have the chaos that I used to have and I don't have, um, and I don't look like I'm about to be arrested or whatever. <laughs> I'll tell you a little secret. A lot of the really good addicts don't. <laughs> don't look like they're about to be arrested. That's why they don't get caught. <laughs> uh, but it still kills us. <laughs> um, so that's all I have. Thanks, Brooke. Alisa, you want to add in? Yep. Um, yeah, Donna, thanks for mentioning about the spiritual principles being in here. Because at first I drew a blank and I was like, wait, there's a bunch already listed. <laughs> And um, the one that jumped out to me is, is inclusiveness. And anybody that knows me in my area knows that I do invite people and I do talk with people. And um, but one thing you might not notice, or maybe you do, um, is that like the people that aren't as involved, I forget about. And I actually feel really bad even like saying that out loud, but I mean, it's the truth, right? I have like, um, Donna had mentioned tunnel vision earlier and that's just what's like coming to mind like I'm like okay yeah like I'll think of these people that I talk to often right but unless like I see you and the second part has to happen too I have to be like oh yeah invite them too you know I mean it's easy if it's like after the meeting or something but like if I have a plan like say it's Wednesday and I have a plan to go out on Friday like keep these people in mind too right and um like there's this one woman at my home group and she's like a little older and uh 
and she's been coming for like two months and I like really just learned her name you know and we, we've talked about that when being on this um podcast like in this tradition I mean and um and I learned her name when I really listened to her share like that's what it took you know until like I feel like I can do a better job of including those that aren't seen you know um like we've talked about before like about not being seen and like I don't even know what that place is like really um because like when I came in like I felt like everybody was talking to me (laughs) I mean that's at least what it felt like you know and then like then I got involved in service so like I've always like I guess you could say been seen right so it's like hard for me to remember like the people that aren't involved and I, I do try to encourage people to get involved and stuff but I just like of those those principles I think that I could really um practice inclusiveness so that's all I got. that's a great reminder thanks Melissa all right moving on to the little in all our affairs section uh Alberto you want to take 13 Yeah, so in all of our affairs, how have I applied this tradition outside NA? How else might the principles of this tradition guide my thinking or my actions? So like I have to tell myself, like I skipped that question on my traditions. And so like I might have to tell my sponsor, yo, I didn't complete tradition three. Um, I was looking at him. I was like, oh, my God. But this is actually a really great question, by the way. Um, just by hearing it, and actually, like, I took the time to read it right now. Like, how do I practice that tradition, right? Because I have to really have to think about it. Like, when I go to a meeting and I'm trying to do my best to practice the third uh, third tradition by, you know, leaving the people there and accepting them as they are, like, how do I take that outside? Well, for one, my home, right? Um, <laughs> I'm going to use this example. My nephew, all last week, horrible, horrible grades at school. I mean, I don't know what's going on with him. He's nine years old. I mean, the frown faces on all his report stuff. And I get on to him, right? Like, dude, what's going on? Then I call my sponsor, right? Because again, I don't necessarily see the principles, the opportunities to practice them outside of NA because in NA, it's like, what are we doing right now? And so, like, I, I, I'm, like, really hard on this kid, right? Take away his VR. Take away his switch. Take away his phone. I mean, for one, what is a nine-year-old doing with a phone? That's regardless. That's besides the point. Like, I'm not looking at these things, right? And I call my sponsor, and I tell him what's going on. And he said, Alberto, where's his dad? I'm like, he just got arrested. He's like, where's his mom? He's like, not here. He's like, Alberto, he's nine years old. That's a lot for a nine-year-old. What I practice into the room when I go in there and accept them as they are, no matter what, I have to be able to do the same thing outside. And sometimes I don't see that to the people that are closest to me. So how does this, how, how else might the principles of this tradition guide my thinking or my actions? Well, I made sure to put more attention to my nephew the past weekend to not be so mean on him, not be so hard on him, to not necessarily enforce the rules, to practice some love, 
to you know what I'm saying? Like to be of service, like, dude, what, what do you want to do today? Right. Um, you want McDonald's? Okay, sure. I don't like McDonald's, but you know, I can get out of the way today and, and get freaking McDonald's. But um a lot of people don't realize, me especially, like how well I can actually practice this outside of my program and what do they invite. And it definitely, I hope, brought some relief to a little nine-year-old. And that's all I got for that question. Alberto, thank you. Well, the one thing that I was gonna add here is that, um, you know, I, I participate in some other non-recovery oriented groups outside of, outside of NA that, you know, I think that um, one of the things this tradition helps me think about is, is that same thing is that I can have expectations based on how I show up of how I expect others to show up, um, you know, and how I expect others to participate in their membership if they've signed up to be a part of, you know, um, I mean, for years I was a PTA president, right? I was a perfect example, but you know, like how I, because, because I've learned in NA how to show up, my expectations of others was really high, right? And their level of desire of what they were willing to bring to the table may not have been at the same level that mine was. And so, you know, I think traditions like tradition three help remind me that, you know, outside of NA, it's the same thing, right? If I'm, if I'm in here expecting people to work the steps and the traditions the same way I do, I'm going to be disappointed every time, right? And well, not every time, but probably often. Um, and so, you know, it, it's that same thing outside. And and um, or or like you were just talking about Alberto with my family, right? Like I have these expectations of, you know, and and the, we all have different levels of desire about how things should go in life. Um, so I think it's a great reminder about bringing the same spiritual principles from this tradition into my life as well. Um, and remembering that we all come in at a different place, right? What we're bringing to the table, um, regardless of what it is inside NA, outside of NA, like, and everything has value that even if somebody has a 10th of the enthusiasm that I do, that it has value. If I stop and listen, if I stop and hear what they have to offer, there's value in it. And um, so I think it's, it's a great thing that I can, continue to apply outside of outside of my recovery as well. Carl. Yeah, I just wanted to add, this is something I always struggle with is, um, and it's not just NNA, of course, it's like everywhere it stretches. So like I have a big like judgment issue with people that just lack awareness, you know, they, they take over conversations, they just blah, blah, blah you to death. Like I'll, I'll get involved with these people and it's not even a conversation, you know, or I'll sit down at a table and there's usually one person that just talks the whole entire time, you know, and maybe when they leave, it's like, then there's a conversation like where there's an actual exchange of information and I judge the shit out of people, you know, not just in NA. I feel like NA people are the worst about this though. <laughs> when I'm at NAP. Yes, exactly, exactly, Michelle. And um, so that's a big piece. I don't know. I just I struggle with that. And that's why I wanted to mention it just because it it is it's like a constant thing for me. And um, I do I just I struggle with that piece of practicing like that principle of just allowing people to be where they're at and not just judging the shit out of them. Yeah, 
So thanks. Thanks, Carl. All right, anybody else have anything to add there? If not, we'll move on to question number 14. Uh, Brooke. Thanks, Michelle. Okay, 14. Where else in my life do I experience membership? Do I feel a part of or apart from? Hmm. So I guess the two that really come to mind for me, because I don't belong to a health club or anything really, is uh is family and then um work. So I guess and family, I I yes, I mean I do. I feel like um I do feel a part of, um, but at the same time, I also feel like <clears throat> I'm one of the other inmates in the asylum. You know, <laughs> you know, it's not necessarily a good good thing. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> practicing those spiritual principles is really, really important. Um, so, and remembering what I know from NA is really important um, for that because, honestly, like most of the people in my family don't really know how to not be judgmental. I don't know how to say that. like, and, um, and so I just, it's kind of fun actually, where they're like, I can't believe that person. I'm like, why not? You know? <laughs> um, anyway. And then the other thing is, uh, is, is at work. Um, I, I usually do feel apart from, and that has a lot to do with, um, I'm super not comfortable with sharing a lot of my life at work. Um, and that's, that's just kind of, and that, that will keep you apart from, you know, um, I do practice the spiritual principles, of, but I, I also really do like to keep my anonymity um, around people just cause I'm, I don't want people to not like me and then not like NA as part of it. And then the other thing is there, there's still people out there who don't like addicts. Um, so, and, and so I, I do tend to keep myself a little bit apart from, and I don't know, I think perceptive people kind of know that when you're not telling them the whole story. So there we go. That's my story. Thanks, Brooke. Lisa, you want to add to it? Yeah, thanks. So thanks for mentioning family, Brooke, because that is not even what came to mind for me. Um, but I mean, that's, the first place I guess you could say I ever experienced any type of quote-unquote membership um and that's weird for me because like sometimes I feel a part of but most of the time I feel apart from you know like with my brother I typically feel a part of but sometimes will piss me off and I'll feel apart from or judgy or whatever and like I'm actually one of the judgmental people but I don't tell them but because <laughs> I mean you know deep down I love him and it's not even that far deep down it's just like wow that actually reminds me a lot about how we treat people we don't like in narcotics and honestly like we still treat them well right um and so like the other places that I experience membership um well I'll just say work I have two different jobs um but anyway um like okay so like when I'm at the National Guard I feel apart from um because extremely dysfunctional sometimes in the area that I work, logistics can be crazy. So um, 
but when I'm at my federal job, I do feel a part of, because I feel like the camaraderie and the teamwork and, and, and in both of these jobs, they know that I don't um, drink, you know, um, or do anything, you know, and, but like, I, I guess what the difference between the two for me is like, one, I feel like camaraderie and teamwork and like understanding and helping each other out and this and that, whereas, you know, sometimes in the other, I don't. So um, it kind of just shows me like, that's what I need to bring to the table here too, you know, camaraderie, teamwork, helping each other out. Um, you know, that's why I think giving back is such a big thing because it just shows people that you're, you care for them and that you're accepting of them. So, and that's what makes me feel like I actually have membership. That's all I got. Thanks. Thanks, Melissa. Donna. Okay. I, I just wanted to say one of the places that I felt a part of um, oh, outside of NA, one of the first places was when I went back to college. And, um, you know, one of the, I had been, I'd been clean a couple of years, a few years, and I really felt a part of Narcotics Anonymous. And I really felt like I was so different from everybody else in the world. I was just like other addicts, but I wasn't like everybody else, right? And after a while, I got to figure out that I was more like other people than not like them. You know, and that's really a big part of what I learned here in Narcotics Anonymous. The other thing too, is when we show up to be part of something because of what we've learned in NA, we are almost always put in leadership positions, you know, and, and uh, if you don't want that, it can be really, I just want to be a part of, right? And, but I've learned how to show up and to be passionate and to participate and, and lots of people aren't like that. Right. And so I've learned what it means to be a member of something that I care about. Right. And so uh, I just need to remember that, that um, that not everybody shows up this way. And um, and uh, and I can step back from all of that. I just wanted to share that. Thanks. Thanks, Donna. But the last thing I, I'm going to share about this as well, and then we'll we'll wrap up tonight's episode. Um, you know, I mentioned a minute ago, like I've, I've been president of PTA, like I've, I've, I'm a joiner. I like to be, if, if I feel passionate about something, I'm happy to get involved. And, and if I feel really passionate about it, I'm happy to take that lead role. And, um, and, but I, I'm an introvert by nature, which is kind of contradictory, right? That, that I'm so willing to get involved, but like my, my natural nature is like, I'd rather just be at home in my little cozy corner by myself it's where I feel most comfortable because um, I can get really caught up in the differences. And, and, and the gift that I've received in Narcotics Anonymous is to always look for the similarities and not the differences, right? And I can do that throughout every area of my life today. And you know, I, I recently started a, a new a change, change companies in my career and, and uh, the new company that I work for, like there's so many amazing things that you can get involved with. And I've just been like raising my hand and getting involved. And, and I love it. And, and um, one, of the, one of the teams that I participate on, uh, we have an event coming up and, and they're doing an event for Mardi Gras. And so like they sent out this thing and, and like they, they knew that I don't drink. And so they made sure that there was an option available that was non-alcoholic, right? And so where I've always been, I've always kept my anonymity really close to my vest in my career because 
like Brooke said, like, I just never wanted to be judged. I never wanted there to be something that like, even after 29 years where I'd be like, oh my God, how could you think anything but good things? Like, I just don't ever want anybody to go, oh, but what if she falls off? Uh, and it could happen, right? I mean, it could happen. Um, but, but I don't know, there's something about this new opportunity in my life where I've just made the decision to be a little bit more open and, and, um, and uh, connecting with others and like cool things are happening as a result. And so I think that um, because of my desire to be a member of Narcotics Anonymous, it's just given me that passion in my life as I learned things about myself that I could become passionate and have desire about other areas of my life and be a member um, in other areas of my life and show up in that way. So I'm really, really grateful for that. Um, so I think that's gonna be a wrap for us. And uh, this is episode 30, Tradition 3. We'll be back next week to finish up these questions and uh, we hope you'll join us. Thanks everybody for being here and we'll see you next time. Thank you for walking with us on this journey. Please reflect on what was discussed and apply it to your life. Share this resource with anyone you feel led to do so.